It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLBPipeline.com's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Guys, we're all in the same place for once, not doing this via the phone lines. Should make it a lot more fun. And the top 100 prospects list comes out on Friday night. You can tune in to MLB Network or MLB.com. Check it out 9 o'clock Eastern, as I said. So we're not going to reveal who's number one, but we're going to kind of make make the argument for who could be number one. You guys have articles up right now on the website making your arguments for different guys. Let's start with Corey Seager. He would be the challenger, I guess, in this argument when you talk about Seager and Buxton. Buxton obviously has been the number one prospect on Pipeline.com. Jonathan, why should Corey Seager be the new number one? Just because we need another guy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, both made it to the big leagues. Obviously, Seager had a lot more success. And I, I think it's really just what he has done um, in terms of we talk a lot about tools and translating tools to performance. And he's already done that. And he's done it pretty much everywhere he's been. He's hit. Uh, you know, he, he's probably the best pure hitter uh, on our entire list. Uh, he hits for average and for power. Uh, he's actually played a better shortstop than I think people gave him credit for. I think a lot of people coming out of the draft thought he'd be playing third already. Now, he may eventually need to move over to third, but uh, the bat will profile extremely well there. He's got such an advanced approach at the plate. He didn't stray from that at all, even when he was in the big leagues or when he was in the playoffs. Uh, and then, you know, to me, the, 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 the big hammer I threw down at the end of, uh, of the piece I wrote making the case for him is that we did a story when we polled executives, you know, general managers, scouting directors, and the like, who they thought the number one prospect should be, and, and he, he just whooped Byron Buxton. It was 27 <laughs> to 4, I think, uh, when all was said and done. So it wasn't even close. So, uh, you know, they're the guys that uh, make those kinds of decisions in terms of personnel and things like that. So uh, I trust them. Yeah, and I, I think it's really easy to make a case for Corey Seager, too. I mean, he's the best pure hitter, I think, on the entire top 100. I'm very impressed the fact the guy goes out and wins the batting title. 2014 minor league batting title, tire minors, hits 349. He actually made adjustments last year. He reduced his strikeout rate to career low 14%, was great in September. So he, he's, I think he's the best pure hitter on this list. Um, Dan O'Dowd could not stop raving about him when we were taping the, uh, the Top 50 Prospect Show for MLB Network. Dan O'Dowd loves him too. I think he's the best combination of, of hitter for power and average on this list. I think he's got the highest floor on this list. You know, he's Not that you're picking a safe guy necessarily to be number one, but you feel pretty good that he's going to get to his potential. I agree with what you said, John. I'm not sure he stays at shortstop long term, but he's still, I think, a superstar if he goes to third base. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's very easy to make a case for Corey Seager. Um, and I think it's also very easy to, to make a case for Byron Buxton. I'm not sure if I'd really make a, case, a strong case for anybody else. It seems like those are the two guys. No, I think so. And you know, the one thing that sort of stands out to me when I did the polling, was you mentioned his floor, is that uh, – it's a quote I used that I thought it really is like you don't often see a guy with that high of a floor 
and that high of a ceiling. You know, it's often one or the other. He's got he's got both, and that's to me what separates him. Yeah, and I think at worst, Tim. Sorry, I think at worst he's going to be a two eighty hitter with twenty homers a year. At worst, that's a pretty good player. Yeah, that's if good. that's the if that's the floor. Right, that's a pretty good floor. I think one of the coolest things about this argument, sometimes when you're debating prospects, you have a guy who's in in a ball or in the sky's the limit versus a guy who's who's ready. These are two guys that got to the majors a year ago. They're both kind of at that level where not only are we debating who's the best prospect, but we could be talking about two guys that are the American League and National League rookies of the year in 2016. Yeah, we could. And you know, I guess one more thing I really like about Corey Seager too is you know, we've talked about this before. I think he's, you know, you look at just the shortstops who are in the big leagues right now. The only shortstop I think has a higher offensive ceiling when you when you want to talk about the ceiling of the things is Carlos Correa. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no other shortstop. I mean, if I I might take Carlos Correa over any player in baseball right now, especially if you factor in the contract because he's not, you know, on a long-term extension yet. But uh, you know, a lot of talented shortstops, and Corey Seager I think is going to hit as much as as any any other shortstop out there. How about the fact that that Buxton got up last year and obviously he got hurt a little bit, but he struggled against big league pitching, whereas Seager put up surprisingly good numbers. Does that factor in at all when you're talking about the top prospect, the fact that Buxton struggled a bit at the major league level? I think it does. I mean, it's not the only thing. You know, we'll, we'll hear from people all the time that, listen, we do these lists because we want people to talk about them and debate them. You know, people think that we think it's a, a, you know, an infallible list. No, we want people to be like, no, you should have this guy here. And a lot of times you'll hear, but boy, look what he did in the big leagues compared to what Buxton did. If that's the only thing that you're looking at, no, you can't do that. But it certainly, I think, uh, it certainly plays into the decision making. He he, and he did it at every level, and he's been du- more durable. So he, there's more to go from. You know, uh, we'll let Jim make the the case for for Buxton in a little bit. But you know, with with Buxton, you're still dreaming on the tools you know, because we haven't been able to see him all that much the last couple of years because of these. You know, these injuries. So I think that, yeah, I think performance does enter into it, even if it's just part of the separating factor. Let's make that case for Buxton. Why should he still be number one? And I I believe that. You know, we're not going to reveal to anybody who number one is. You know, we we, we did have some spirited debate about this subject. And I'm still a Buxton advocate. I'm starting to jokingly call him the FDR of prospects because he's been number one on five (laughs) consecutive MLB pipeline lists. I guess we had a constitutional amendment passed to allow him to keep serving. <laughs> For me, it, it starts with the tools. He's got far and away the best tools of any prospect in baseball. I mean, you're talking about a guy who can be a well-above-average hitter, well-above-average defensive center, probably the best defender on this list, well-above-average arm. You can make a case he's got the best throwing arm on this list. He's an 80-runner on the 20-80 to 80 scale, and he's probably going to have, you know, 20-home run power, if not more. And I just – I look at those tools. I can't get past those tools. They're the best tools we've seen come through the minor leagues since Mike Trout, who I will point out, Mike Trout also struggled when he first got to the big leagues. Now, I will now go back on myself again there and say that Mike Trout was more advanced at the same age, at a younger age, as a hitter than Byron Buxton is. I'm not saying Byron Buxton's going to be Mike Trout, but he does have those kind of tools. And, yes, the, the major league performance, I think that is in the back of your mind. But, but I'm kind of giving Buxton a, a pass for what he did in the majors because coming into the year, I, he, you wouldn't have thought he'd be up in the big leagues in the middle of the season. He'd missed most of the previous year with a variety of injuries, hadn't played above double-A, had barely played above double-A. And, and then he plays you know, two, three months in double-A. Gets off to a slow start, starts to heat up. Twins are in pennant race. Aaron Hicks gets hurt. All of a sudden, boom, you're in the big leagues. And then Buxton gets hurt. 
And so he spends some time on the disabled list, and when he comes back, they're still in the race. But Hicks is back, so he's getting sporadic playing time. It's not like, A, Buxton was ready for the big leagues, or B, he played every day once he got there. It was kind of a, it was a tough way to make a debut. And like I said, Trout struggled in his debut too. The 44-6 to strikeout-to-walk ratio would bother me more had that been a pattern in the minor leagues. And it was. I just think he was over his head too much too soon, tried to do it too quickly. Um, would like to see him. You know, I think ideally you'd give him some more AAA time this year. He's only played about two weeks in AAA. I don't know if he'll get that. And then I think the, the big question, I get people because I, I still am, I mean, I don't know why it's hard to, to believe, but I still get crushed on Twitter anytime I'm like, I still think Byron Buxton's the best prospect. Oh, you know, he hit 205 or, you know, this and that. And, and one question I get is, oh, he can't stay healthy. And that would bother me if these were chronic injuries or, or the same type of injury. But he's, you know, he had a concussion and an outfield collision. He, he's injured fingers sliding. He injured a wrist uh, one time on a slide, one time when he was hit by a pitch. He strained his shoulder on a swing. It, it's been a variety of things. Does he need to get stronger and healthier and more durable? Yes. But it's not like he's got a chronic knee issue or a chronic back problem that's repeated itself. It, it's all been different things. So I, I'm not worried about the health. I think he just needs to catch his breath a little bit. He does need to stay healthy. I don't think it's going to be a problem going forward, and I just think the tools are off the charts. Buxton kept Chris Bryant from the number one spot a year ago. We'll see if he can keep uh, Corey Seager from the number one spot here. We'll find out on Friday night. I think one thing's for sure, when you guys do your updates of prospects uh, later in the season, neither of these guys is going to be there. Well, Buxton only needs two (laughs) at-bats. I mean, I know we were all kind of hoping he would get those last two at-bats just – just because we've been writing and talking about him so much, there, there is a little Buxton fatigue. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, major league uh, performance aside, I think people are just like, enough already. You know, and because he ascended to that top spot during his first full season and he, you know, as a high school draftee, and then his progress had been slowed somewhat because of those injuries, uh, he, he has stuck around for a very long time. And... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, both of them project to be in their starting lineups on opening day. So uh, literally after opening day of the twin season, assuming Byron Buxton is the lineup, he comes out uh, and Corey Seager, you know, will follow him not that much longer after that. Right. And then we will see from there the next guys. And, and all those top 100 guys we'll know about pretty soon. But as we've gotten closer to the top 100 being unveiled, you guys have done top 10 lists for each position. And last week on the podcast, we did right-handed pitchers and left-handed pitchers. But I wanted to get into some of the other positions that have been unveiled since then. Let's start behind the plate with catcher. And I want to just talk about the top two guys at, at each position and, Jim, I think catcher's interesting when you talk about Wilson Contreras as your guy's number one because here's the Cubs who keep talking about Kyle Schwarber and them wanting to, him to be a catcher, yet they have another guy on the way as well in Wilson Contreras. Can both these guys survive in Chicago with the Cubs? They can because – and we've talked about Kyle Schwarber on the podcast a few times. I know he wants to catch. His yeah. work ethic's off the charts. And this happens a lot when you're talking about where guys are going to play defensively. The Cubs are optimistic, bullish on his chances of, of staying at catcher. You talk to people outside the organization, they just don't see it. Yeah. Um, I think he's the left fielder. And I also think when you look at what Kyle Schwarber did in his first, I was say his first year in the big leagues, it was really his first full year in professional baseball. And he hit, I think, what was it, 16 home runs at the big league level and hit balls up on top of you know, buildings during the playoffs and became kind of a folk here in Chicago. If you, let's say you can't get him behind the plate. I don't think he's ever going to be – even probably an average receiver in the big leagues, which is a problem. But also, the toll the catching takes on you is going to affect his bat. I, I don't want to mess with that. Right. I'm going to put Kyle Schwarber in left field. 
And, and I know I wrote a story about him talking about how he's a better athlete than people think right before the NLCS, and he looked terrible against the Mets. But he's, he's not horrible in left field. He can play passable left field. I want Kyle Schwarber in my lineup 100% healthy, not being beaten up and not worrying about running pitching staff. I want him in my lineup 140, 150 times a year and let the guy hit 40 home runs and draw a bunch of walks. If you can't catch him, that's not going to work. And that's why Wilson Contreras is great for the Cubs because here's a guy who wasn't on their top 30 prospect list going into last year when I did the list. But it wasn't my fault because he hadn't done a whole lot to that point. And now he's the best catching prospect in baseball. He had a great season, won the double-A, suddenly batting title, and continued to hit in the Arizona Fall League. He actually, he and Schwarber started the year together in double-A. Right. And, you know, I don't think Wilson Contreras is going to be a gold glover, but he can be, he can be an average catcher. He's not going to be, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to call Kyle Schwarber a liability, but he's going to be better than adequate behind the plate. And he's going to hit for average, and he's got some power. He's pretty athletic. This is a guy whose son is a third baseman. So I think it actually... Even if the Cubs were entertaining the idea of continuing to try to catch Kyle Schwarber, I think Wilson Contreras is like the best thing that could happen for the Cubs because it, it disabuses them of, of trying to do that. And I think it's going to be better. They're, they're going to be a better team with Kyle Schwarber, healthier, better defensively, get more offense out of him, and let Wilson Contreras be the catcher of the future. Yeah, Gary Sanchez is second on that list, and he kind of has, has been sort of resurrected uh, as a prospect because this was a guy who signed for a ton of money, uh, was – a guy for a very long time and just didn't perform. Lots of talk about uh, some effort and maturity issues. The bat was always interesting and then the catching was very rough. Uh, so people were kind of automatically making this, well, he's the next Jesus Montero. And we all see how that kind of turned out. Have a nice cone. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's just not right that you went there. Um, <laughs> although that is a ridiculous, ridiculous story. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what happened to him in 2015 is, you know, as much as we talk about, oh, well, there were some maturity issues. I, I think he's 22. Maybe he turned 23, you know, and I, I've said this before with guys that I have to remind myself, you know, when I was 22 or 23, I, you know, so. You were pretty rough as a catcher. Back <laughs> I was very rough as a left-handed catcher. Um, but, but, you know, you have to kind of, it takes guys longer and especially behind the plate now, uh, this year, one, he was more consistent offensively. He'd always shown glimpses, tremendous raw power, and he started showing it more consistently. Uh, and then in the Arizona Fall League, he just went off um, and, and was probably the – he was at least the best, like, run producer there. Um, but what surprised me the most is that when we talked to people uh, who saw him in the Fall League or saw him during the year, his catching has gotten a lot better. He always had a really, really strong arm. And he still needs to learn to not just try it. Wilson Contreras is guilty of this as well, by the way. They're in that show-off-your-arm kind of mode. Um, and there are things that you can do to try to you know, shorten up and be more accurate and things like that. But his receiving skills and his working with pitchers, all that got better. Uh, and people were very pleasantly surprised in the AFL when he's catching you know, some pretty good pitching. And he looked much more comfortable there to the point where I think a year ago, people were like, uh, you know, even if it does come together for him, I don't know if he can stay behind the plate. I don't think they're saying that anymore. Now, obviously, Brian McCann is signed to a 40 million gazillion year contract. Uh, so they have some time if they want to give it to him or he can learn under McCann's wing. But, uh, yeah, he, he has jumped back onto the very, very loudly onto the prospect radar screen. It's interesting that Contreras is a guy you said wasn't on the top 30, so he kind of comes out of nowhere, and then Sanchez was a guy that people had maybe given up on, and he comes back out of nowhere. Suddenly, they're the top two catching prospects in baseball. All right, let's move 
around the diamond now. We'll go to first base and gym number one, A.J. Reed. Here's another guy that I think at some point in 2016 we're going to see him up with the Astros. Yeah, I, th I think that's true. I mean, nobody had a better minor league season last year than A.J. Reed. You know, second-round pick in 2014. He was college player of the year, two-way star at Kentucky, won 12 games on the mound but drafted for the power. And, and last year, I'll probably leave off a category because he led the minors in about 50 categories, but he, he led the minors in runs, uh, homers, RBIs, total bases, slugging, ops, and, and yes, playing in Lancaster, which is probably the best place to hit and one of probably the best league to hit in, was a great way to start your season and help put up some numbers, but he continued to rake in double-A. California League MVP, um, he's got power. Uh, what's nice is, is like unlike some guys who, who kind of turn it loose and swing for the fences every time, you know, he has an approach at the plate. And if guys don't challenge him, if pitchers stay away from the power, he'll take the walks. So I think this is a guy who can hit for some average. I think he's going to draw walks, have good on-base percentages, provide a lot of power. You know, the question with him, you know, he's an all-bat guy, but that's fine. He's a first baseman, and the bat's pretty impressive. The question that I think scouts want to see from him is how can he handle advanced left-handed pitching? He can hit a fastball. Is he going to be able to hit or at least hold his own and stay in there to where he can get fastballs when he sees good curveballs and good changeups and off-speed stuff. But, you know, the, the first base wide open right now for the Astros. I mean, Jonathan Singleton has not exactly set the world on fire in the big leagues. Um, and so I would think that A.J. Reed probably starts the year in AAA. And if he handles lefties well and continues to rake like he did in 2015, I, I wouldn't think that A.J. Reed would make the team. Although I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility considering that Houston's trying to win and first base is open. But if he went to AAA and he, you told me he was up May 1st because he raked and the Astros were struggling at first base, I, I could see that. Absolutely. And interesting at first base because we talk a lot about guys being blocked from, from getting to the big leagues. We have A.J. Reed in Houston, and then number two is Josh Bell in Pittsburgh, and Pedro Alvarez is gone. So they've opened things up as well for Josh you Bell. Don't, you don't think Jason, Rodri uh, Jason <laughs> Rogers is, uh, is, is a real roadblock. I don't think he's going to stand in the way. No, I don't think, I don't think he really will. And, and I think that Bell is not going to get a chance to win the job out of spring training, and I think Reed is. Um, but I think they're both sort of at around the same place um, in, in terms of their development, even if the numbers haven't you know, been exactly the same. And I mean, Bell had a really good 2015. Uh, he's a guy who's been a hit-first guy, and everyone wants to see the power. It's there. Um, I mean, he showed it in the Futures game. I know that was just one swing. And I think it's mostly from the left side. I don't think he hits for as much power from the right side. But we're talking about a switch hitter, you know, run producer, who I think in the not-too-distant future is going to be a guy counted on to, to give Andrew McCutcheon some protection. And I think as he matures and he learns that he can turn on certain pitches more. And he started to do that. Even in the brief time he got up to AAA last year, he actually showed more power than he had. And if you look at his extra base and his slugging percentage, uh, they improved as the season went on, and that's always a good sign. And he's always had a good approach at the plate. Uh, first base, it was his first year playing there. All accounts are is that it was not pretty. Um, but he's a pretty good athlete. He was a fair outfielder. This wasn't a guy like, oh, he we got to move him. It's just that the Pirates outfield is exceedingly crowded, uh, and they knew that they were probably going to need a first baseman. So I, I think he's going to be just fine there, uh, and he's going to hit to profile to position really well. And, uh, you know, people are asking me all the time about the power, and I said there's going to be more than enough power for him to be a, a good everyday first baseman. And I'd rather see, uh, you know, the guy who's number three on the first base list, Dominic Smith with the Mets, kind of falls in the same category as Josh Bell, yeah. where he's an accomplished hitter right now, in part because he doesn't try to do too much. He hits the ball up the middle. He, 
you know, takes pitches. He's not trying to whale everything out of the park. I'd rather have the young hitter master hitting first and let the power come naturally than then sit there and say, okay, I'm a first baseman. i got to hit 25 home runs and mess up your swing. I think it's, you know, a debate that you could have. You know, at the end of the day, do you want a big league first baseman who hits 240 and 35 homers and with a lot of swing and miss, which is like, what, the high end of what Pedro Alvarez ended up being? Or do you want a guy who might hit 300 with 20 to 25 homers? And I'm not saying that that's what either of those guys' ceilings are, but it might be. I mean, I think I'd rather have that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but you know, that's just me. And I think because those guys are hit first, they have a better chance to be that latter example. We're making our way through the top 10 lists of the uh, MLBpipeline.com top 10 lists throughout the game, and we go first base to second base. And, Jim, I'll go back to you, a Red Sox prospect who they put a lot of money into, $31.5 million bonus for Yoan Moncada. Um, and in his first season, it seemed as he got his feet wet, he's looking like that was money well spent. Yeah, and it wasn't just $31.5 million. That's what Mankata got as a bonus. Right. The Red Sox had to pay an extra $31.5 million on top of that as a penalty for blowing away past international pools. So $63 million. You know, they, 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 they kind of let him get his feet wet in extended spring training, got off to slow start in the South Atlantic League, and then the second half he was a player that they thought he was going to be. I mean, the reviews were tremendous. I mean – this is a guy who, who I guess the best comp, the comp you hear the most is Robinson Cano with more speed. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, take you, that. you take that. I yeah. even take Robinson Cano with less speed. <laughs> with less speed. We, 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 well, we'll yeah, be fine. Um, but, no, I mean, this is a guy who's going to hit for average in power. Um, he's got a strong arm. He's a well-above-average runner. He's probably, you know, the, the thing that doesn't jump off the page at you is as good an athlete is and as much quickness and arm strength as he has. He's just kind of an average second baseman. The actions are okay. They're not great. Um, you could see this, you know, but I think the bat's going to profile just about anywhere you want to put it. So maybe, you know, in a different organization that wasn't loaded with outfielders, maybe you'd see him as a future center fielder. I think he hits enough to play third base or an outfield corner if that's where you have to put him. Uh, you know, all, all, the, all the reviews on him were positive. You know, I think he got caught stealing four times. He stole almost 50 bases. Just uh, tremendous talent. I mean, you're, like I said, I mean, I, I keep hearing Robinson Cano. With more speed, okay. You know, I can find <laughs> different ways to get that bat in my lineup. Well, too. and Dustin Pedroia has six more years left on that long contract that he signed. So really, second base isn't necessarily an option right now. But is he a good enough athlete that you yeah. said he could be? He could end he, up somewhere else. He is. I mean, they're crowded with outfielders right now right. too. I mean, if Rusnik Castillo is what they think, they're kind of crowded with everything. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> if, if Castillo is as good as he's supposed to be, you know, they invest a lot of money in him, and Jackie Bradley hits, you know, somewhat like he did in the second half last year. Yeah, and they have Mookie Betts. They already, you know, who was a came up as a second baseman. They already have That's a full your next five years. But you know, and, and uh, uh, my one of my big prospect crushes, Andrew Benintendi, is going to get there pretty Coming quick too. too. Yeah. You know, you can't play. You already have four outfielders there. But anyway, yeah, I think he can go anywhere. I mean, with with Pedroia, I mean, the thing is, Pedroia's getting older. You know, Pedroia plays hard. I don't know if Pedroia is going to be the starting second baseman for all six years uh, of that contract. I mean, Mankata. I think he's you know, if what he showed in the second half last year is any sign. I think he's going to move very quickly, start to move very quickly. So I mean, we're probably looking. You could, I could see him in the big leagues. I think on the early end, maybe mid 2017. On the late end, it would be early 2018. So you have a couple of years to figure that out, and, and you'll go from there. I mean, Pedroia does seem like he's destined to end his career in Boston. I don't think he's going anywhere. Right. You're not going to trade him with that contract. But when Mikata's ready, you'll figure out where to put him in the lineup. Yeah, and you would assume with that bonus, he's not a guy that's going to get traded. I mean, you spent that much money on this guy. You're not going to then ship him off. But who knows in baseball? Dodgers did it with Hector Oliveira. <laughs> so say, you never know. It, it has happened. All right, number two at second base is a guy who – 
just keeps moving around, Jonathan. Uh, Jose Peraza, the Braves, to the Dodgers, to the Reds. But through all those moves, he's still highly regarded. Yeah, he is. I mean, his star has faded a little bit. Um, and I think it's more just because of the year he had in AAA last year. The numbers weren't great. The OPS was kind of low. And then, you know, the one knock with him as well is he going to be strong enough to, to hit at the big league level. Um, but, you know, sometimes being traded twice can fade your star, but you also have to consider he was desired, yeah. you know, twice over, both in, both in three-team deals. And, uh, you know, the, the Reds, I guarantee, made that trade thinking Brandon Phillips would not be in Cincinnati anymore, and uh, he kind of threw a kibosh onto that plan. But so uh, Peraza may break in moving around a little bit, and he can. Uh, he was a shortstop. You know, they moved him. The Braves did because of Angelton Simmons, so he could handle playing short. Maybe not every day, but he could play there. He played a little bit of third. He saw some time in the outfield, so you might see him in Cincinnati this year like that. They love his contact rate and his line drive rate. They looked at all those things. He does make a lot of contact. The question is, well, will he be strong enough for that contact to be base hits? And I think that was looking at those numbers in AAA that people wondered about, but he's also, you know, a plus runner who should steal some bases. You know, if he were to be the everyday second baseman, I think he'd, he'd probably be the, I think he made our all defense team actually as the best defensive second baseman, just because he has those shortstop skills that carry over so well. So yeah, it's faded a little tiny bit, but he's still a quality guy who has a chance to be a pretty good all around second baseman. Is he a leadoff hitter when all is said and done? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure the Reds would love to have someone who can get on base a little bit more frequently at the very top of the lineup. I don't know if you want to trot out Peraza and Billy Hamilton, uh, b- both of whom who don't draw a ton of walks. Um, but they put the ball in play and let their legs work for them. And I think uh, they're going to need to manufacture some some runs as they try to reboot there. All right, let's finish things up on the hot corner. Um, and I'll go right back to you, Jonathan. Joey Gallo, we got a chance to see a little of Joey Gallo in, in 2015. He did not disappoint from a power standpoint, hitting six home runs, hitting the upper deck in Texas, having a huge debut. We saw what he did in the Futures game a couple of years ago, putting a hole in a windshield of a truck out in right field. But the average was not good, and it seems like that's the, the question mark. But obviously, he's a guy with tons of potential. Is he going to make enough contact here? That's the big question, yeah. right? I mean... And I don't know that we know the answer, but I think, you know, just like with Byron Buxton, you know, you need to take that big league debut a bit with a grain of salt. Um, I, talked to, I talked to Gallo at the Rookie Career Development Program, and he said, you know, he had no designs in his head. He never thought in a million years he'd be in the big leagues last year. Um, and, you know, injuries sort of forced him there. But this is a guy that if you look at his minor league career, he gets to a new level and he struggles initially um, because of that swing and miss. But I think that he has been surprising in his ability to make adjustments after he gets comfortable, whether or maybe it's the beginning of the next year, he goes back to that level and he's hit. Now, is he going to hit 300 in the big leagues? No, I don't. There's no chance. Um, But I really believe in his ability to hit and make enough contact where that power, and he has the most raw power of probably anybody we've seen in quite some time. I mean, throw them in the same list with Chris Bryant, Bryce Harper. Um, and Chris both. Bryant will tell you, because they grew up together in Las Vegas, Vegas the yeah. Gallo's got more power than he does. Yeah. More raw. Right. But Bryant may be a little bit of a better hitter, as he, as he showed. So, I, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, no, there's no way he's going to hit. He struggled. 
I think it'll be interesting to see when he gets his next chance uh, what he does with that opportunity. I don't know what he's, you know, where he'll play. You know, they've got some veterans. Um, they're talking about signing Beltre to an extension, which surprises me when you isn't have he Gallen. like seventy years old? <laughs> yeah, but they're talking. Um, not years. a great defender. So, yeah. I mean, he, I mean yeah. there's a lot of people think he might be better suited to either play first base or left field. He's not a bad athlete, but he's just right. not the big, the quickest guy at third base. He's got great a big arm, arm though. Yeah. And he, arm. Right, right on. And he actually he he liked playing the outfield. He was surprised. He thought he'd be bored because he's always played third, and he's one of these guys that wanted to prove to people who thought, oh, he's not going to be able to stay there because he's so big that he that he wants to stay there now. You know, if, if they want to move into first base eventually, fine. But, you know, it's a question when that opportunity is going to come for him. Um, but I, I actually think he's going to make some adjustments and, and, and we'll be able to tap into that power once he's there full time. And then number two at third base, Rafael Devers, another Red Sox and, and a guy that, that has, like Gallo, a ton of power. Yeah, and it's, uh, i got to throw my favorite Joey Gallo stat as a pro, 162 games average per 162 games, he has averaged 51 homers and 242 strikeouts. Rock and team. while minor league stats don't necessarily translate one to one to big league level, I, I swear I could see Joey Gallo hitting 51 homers in Texas and not not saying 2016. I could see him hitting 51 homers in a big league season, and I could also see him striking out 242 times in the big league season. So those numbers aren't even crazy. He could actually do that in the big leagues down the road. But with Deaver, he's an exciting guy. Red Sox thought he was the best bat on the international market in 2013, and so far that looks like it. Um, you know, I think when we see some of these older guys like Gallo probably graduate off the list this year, if we talk a year from now, Deavers might be the best power prospect in baseball. He, he's got that kind of power. He's been, and, and I think the things that please the Red Sox are, He's been a little bit more advanced hitter than they thought. You know, power is the reason, the big reason he got signed. But he also he shows an approach at the plate. I think he's going to hit for some average. It's not like he's just selling out, swinging for the fences every time. And then, you know, the the question I, I think with him too is, is defensively, is he going to be able to stay at third? Um, because he's he's probably going to fill out and be a pretty big, strong guy. But he was even a little bit better at third base in their in their first extended look at him in full season ball last year uh, than they, than they expected. So I, I think. You know, compared to a year ago, you feel a little bit better about him as a hitter. You feel a little bit better about him as a chance to stay at third. We'll see. You know, we were just talking about Mankata. Maybe Mankata. I, I think Mankata's bat would profile at third, and he's a better athlete, and he's got the arm. Maybe Mankata winds up at third, and, and, and Devers winds up at, at first base or the outfield or, or third base. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. The Red Sox have a lot of options, and they have a lot of athletic players who can play up the middle. Not, and they have more up-the-middle guys than they have room for. And if all these guys wind up being real, you know, legitimate big leaguers, some of them are going to move to the corners. And that just makes your whole team better because you have guys playing easier position. You know, they're capable of playing tougher positions, but you, you have guys who, who maybe bring, like Mankata maybe brings that shortstop athleticism or middle infield athleticism to third base. That is going to do it for the Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo, Jim Callis, great stuff as always. And remember, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, MLB Network, MLB.com. Find out who the top 100 prospects in baseball are heading into the 2016 season.